Hello again, welcome. This is On Mike with Jordan Rich. Conversations with creative and interesting people, conversations that make our lives better. Joining me today is one delightful lady. Her name is Kate Eisler, and she's the author of Breaking Borders, a remarkable story of adventure, family, and career success that defied all expectations. Life presents all of us with challenges, and how we address them and persevere defines who we are. Her book is honest, funny, revealing, and it paints a picture of an independent woman who's never accepted, no, you can't do that, as an answer. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as we invite Kate Eisler to join us on mic. Title of your memoir, Breaking Borders, kind of has a double meaning, triple meaning, quadruple meaning. Uh, we'll find out more in a second, but wordplay there, intentional? Very much. Yeah. Very yeah. much intentionally. <laughs> I thought so, and I thought it was a great title. Subtitle is A Remarkable Story of Adventure, Family, and Career Success That Defied All Expectations. And before we get to some of the nitty-gritty and the cool stuff, do you ever think you'd sit back and, at this point in your life, write a book that people would want to read? Because I have the same question about me. Never. It was never on my list of to-dos or things that I aspired to. It just sort of happened. Was there an epiphany that now's the time, sit down, start typing? Well, you know, it was really interesting. I went through a career shakeup, basically, and was startled. You know, my career had been going along and I was a little bit lost and I had always kept journal and I had um, someone say to me, I know you have a career story and a life story. I know an acquisition editor at HarperCollins. Do you want to talk to them? So I quickly Googled a um, book proposal. I had no idea. I thought, okay, well, how do I do this? Met with the editor. He liked it. And the actual writing of the book took me about six months. So not very long. When I said about the title was true, Breaking Borders, you've been a mover and a shaker, but a lot of moving. Starting with your childhood, right? Uh, what kind of family business were, were you involved in? So when people ask me about my childhood, it's really interesting because I, you know, I'm really open about the fact that I lived in a hotel for the first 10 years of my life. And not a great hotel. You know, you when you conjure up today, Hyatt, Marriott, you know, all the nice ones, that was not my experience. I grew up um, as a child of an innkeeper for Holiday Inn. So I lived in a straight line, a series of rooms that had connecting doors. And so it was a really interesting childhood being very public, um, but, you know, in a very odd way in a motel. I love the way you say that because it's true. He is an innkeeper and it happens to be the Holiday Inn. So it makes perfect sense. But it's an interesting life. Uh, I've known a lot of entertainers, people who work the roads and spend time in hotels, but few had started out that way. What does that do to, in a few words, what does that do to bring you into adulthood with that kind of background? So a couple of things is, you know, I learned to be an observer of people because I saw them from all angles and, you know, it was a really interesting thing. So as a very young child, I was exposed to lots of kinds of people and, you know, that is a really different childhood, I suppose, from when I talk to people um, close to me, they, you know, they were very sheltered and they have friends and family and it taught me to really look for you know, interesting people and see how they reacted and really sort of shape my life in a different way. There wasn't one way. There were dozens of ways to react to things. That's fascinating. I 
credit a lot of my worldly knowledge to being a busboy waiter and a major d when I was a teenager because you really get to know people. It's the same thing with hotels, right? You know what people are like when you get to, you know, hear their complaints and occasionally hear their compliments. It's it's a cool way, but it's also a um, a struggle and a challenging way to live, especially when, you know, you have a a family that's not truly functional and you write about those days as well. I did. You know, it was a really interesting, I did not grow up with Ward and June Cleaver by any stretch. And so my family was a little bit um, disjointed and it was a mixed family with two half brothers and a sister and my parents divorced very young. And so I became very independent young. And I, you know, I think that there are ways to approach that as a child. And I seem to just decide you know, well, I'm going to just try all kinds of things. And off I went. And off you go, as we read, to places like the Middle East. You go to Europe. You, you know, pack up and one day you're in the States, one day you're in another country. Uh, so there's some of that movement that's very much following you. Right now, you're in New York, in New York City, but that's not where you live, right? That's correct. I live in Seattle, so about as far away as you can get once again. And I love talking to people, creative people on this podcast who uh, who take a path their own. And let's talk a little bit about Seattle and about that environment. Uh, I've only been once and I didn't have enough time there to really soak it in. But is there something in the air? Because we have coffee, we've got grunge, we've got a bunch of stuff and we've got you. What's going on in Seattle? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I moved to Seattle before there was much going on. In fact, um there was industry leaving Seattle when I got there, but I picked it on a map. I had met someone through my sort of travels in school and picked Seattle on a map and decided to move there. And I love it. You know, it is, it was a very small city and it was way tucked up in the Northwest with, you know, beautiful mountains and skiing and the ocean. And so it was close to everything and far enough away from everything I knew. It's <laughs> sort of how I got there. But that's one of the things about uh, your story that is quote unquote remarkable. It says it in the title and adventures come to you. And, you know, you're a young lady. I mean, just moving on to a whole other state. A lot of people can't move on to another neighborhood, let alone state. You know, my life has been really, as I as I look at it and I look at some of those adventures, it has been a series of um, willing to try things. And I think that I could not live with not having an experience. You know, I have a hard time turning that down. If it sounds fun and it sounds adventurous, I'm like, well, you know, why can't I do that? And And that's how I've lived my life. And I still do. You know, I I honestly still just think, well, gosh, I could be that person. Why not? Let's yeah, try that. You're, you're a free spirit. But let me ask you this. Uh, many free spirits have a tough time being free with somebody else in their orbit. You, on the other hand, have had uh, a guy. Let's talk about him who's uh, been there for you and often goes wherever you go, which is a pretty cool thing. Let's talk about Doug. Yes, it is. Um, we are about to celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Unbelievable. Um, he is very similar to me in attitude in terms of why not try it, which is why we have done so well. And we became, you know, we are the best of friends. 
And, you know, he grew up very different than I did. He grew up in this, in a small house in Pittsburgh, went to the same high school his grandmother did. Mm. And so pretty opposite type childhoods, but we have come together and, you know, sort of locked arms and decided, well, why not? Let's try this or that. And, and it's worked out for the most part. Well, of course, it, it, I think that's the caveat. Uh, it, no one has nirvana with anyone else in their lives. There are ups and downs. But there's one particular dramatic point where you're heading to Europe and taking a gig. You're a little concerned, even though you've been in love with this guy. You're thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to upset everything. What's he going to do? And, of course, he didn't disappoint you. He, he went right for it. That tests a relationship, especially in the modern era. It does. You know, one of the things that we were struggling with a life that we had thought we wanted. And so we built a house, we built, you know, we had kids in school, three of them, and, you know, we're moving down a path. And that house and that life ended up being uncomfortable for both of us in lots of ways. And so I took a big gamble and decided to try something completely new. And you know, marriages have ups and downs and it wasn't one of our, you know, our shiny moments. And I took a big gamble and stepped forward and took a job before I had discussed it. And the job was in Europe, not in the U.S. And I rolled the dice and asked if he wanted to come. And, you know, it was probably one of the scariest 30 seconds of my life, the pause. The pause. Let me, uh, Throw it the other way. And and if your husband, Doug, decided he was going to take a job without asking you and the job was in Guatemala or whatever, do you ever think about how you might have reacted? I mean, if the tables were turned? I do. You know, I think that because we have had a long term relationship and friendship, you know, it was much more about being together and redesigning our family than it was the location. And so I think I would have thought the same thing. It was very much about how do we push the reset on our family and our relationship? And the job was a tool to do that. And I think that, you know, we would have probably done the same thing, had the shoe been on the other foot. I want to talk to you about Microsoft because that's the business end of things has a lot to do with that. And how did you get the first gig at Microsoft? And it was pretty early before they were the giants, right? It was. You know, I think of... You know, one of the things that has has earmarked my career is, you know, is taking those risks and being willing to, you know, see opportunities and just jump in and take them. And so my job at Microsoft happened that way. I was a lot of it was I was in the right place at the right time. But, uh, you know, I took the chance. And so I worked at an advertising agency, small one in Seattle. And I had a phone call from the woman who had taken her position. I had never met her. I had knew her handwriting quite well because I took over all of her clients, but I'd never met her. And she said this startup that she was working for was looking for people to be in their internal ad agency and communications. And so I went and interviewed and I was definitely not the technical, you know, Ivy League candidate that you would expect. I was young and didn't even interview very well. And I just decided what the heck. 
And they offered me a job that stunned me. And I thought, well, I don't know a whole lot about computers, but why not? I can learn it. And so I started there when there were about just over 3,000 people at the company worldwide. Now, that may sound big, but now it's, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not more. So, and, and I was remarking to myself, as I do often when I'm reading, about the money you were making back then. We all forget that in the late 80s, if you were making $30,000, that was a pretty good week's pay, a pretty good year's pay. Amazing. It was a great salary. Um, women at that time averaged about 19, maybe $20,000. And so mm-hmm. this was a significant pay. Mm-hmm. And it was over what I, you know, I filled out an application. Remember the days when you had to fill out an employment application? Yes. And they ask what your salary, you know, what you desire. So I went big and I said, $27,000. And they offered me 30 and it was amazing. I was so excited. Cheering for you when I read that. You and I have so much in common. We've both written memoirs, but more than that, uh, you worked in an ad agency. But uh, you tell a story about one particular supervisor from hell. And I knew that person, not that individual, but knew of that archetype. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've run into that. Just share with the audience what we're talking about here. Was her name Nancy? Sue. Oh, Sue, got my names mixed up. Sorry. I knew an assy. But <laughs> same person. I'm pretty sure it was the same person. Probably the same. I think they're, they're, they're like clones. They populate agencies and radio stations. But tell me, tell us about Sue and how you dealt with that. Sue was a brilliant strategist and she was a great writer. She was a great copywriter. And I had a lot of respect for her in that way. But the agency was is owned by um, a man and a woman. They were not a couple. They were just business partners. And it was sort of, he was calm and straightforward and she was the creative side and she was a little bit of a tyrant. And we all held our breath every morning to see what her mood was. And you could tell by the stomping down the hallway at the agency how good the day was gonna be. And, you know, she taught me a whole lot of lessons around leadership. And mostly, and I don't say this flip, but mostly what I didn't want to be as a leader and how to communicate and what your, you know, how you show up translates into your work and into your team. Yeah, I agree. There's so much devil wears Prada going on in almost every workplace and it's the most unnecessary thing. It doesn't mean you can't be stern and authoritative, but... Uh, I read that and I said, oh, boy, do I know a Sue. I know about 50. And most of them are males, by the way, the ones I know. Uh, so it, it crosses gender. <laughs> no yeah, question I'm about sure. that. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about adventure and moving to a different culture. For instance, the Middle Eastern side of things, uh, because that is just another world for most people. But for women in business particularly, there have to be uh, issues at hand. How did you deal with those issues? Well, you know, here here was the thing. Again, I um I got there on an adventure basically. I got an email about a colleague that I worked with that I didn't particularly think was that wonderful and he was moving to Paris. He got a promotion moving to Paris. So I raised my hand and said, "That sounds like a great idea. I want to do that." And so a few, you know, time went by and I told everyone I knew And finally, um, someone came to me that said, how about the Middle East? We have a job there. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
I thought London, Paris, okay, maybe Sydney would be really fun to go. And they said, no, you know, the Middle East. And this was in 1993. And so it was just after the first Gulf War. I had a husband and a toddler. And my husband had a very good job. And so I talked him into quitting his job and taking a chance, you know, on the promise that it would be two years, I promise. Just two years. It's an adventure. So... (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I arrived there, um, you know, it was the second time I had ever been outside the U.S. And it was very interesting. And the thing that I found was, you know, once people understood that I was there not to get coffee, that I was there uh, to do a job, it was absolutely fine. And I actually had some advantages. I had a male um, boss that was from corporate that actually came to the Middle East soon after I got there. We had um, a big meeting with all of our external partners. And he said, you know, we as a company had sent me there to do a job and that they need to listen to me. And it made all the difference. And so I, in fact, um, I think in some ways got more respect because there were so few women doing what I was doing. Mm that it, it caught people off guard. Where were you and based? It, Where What country again? I was in the UAE. So I was in Dubai. You, Dubai, right. When you left the office uh, and, you know, ventured out for whatever, a stroll, mm-hmm. what was the cultural restriction, if any, that you had to deal with? I mean, did you have to wear, you know, clothing, cover yourself, cover your head, any of that kind of stuff? No, no, I did not. Um, the UAE was, is the commerce base and was the commerce base of the Middle East. And so we did not, I was never required to wear a hijab. Um, sometimes, you know, I had 28 countries that I managed all the marketing and PR for across the Middle East. And so there were times where I went to Syria, I went to Egypt and that I would wear a scarf. Mm-hmm. Just out of, you know, respect, that's respect, a cultural right. thing. Right, right. But I was never required. And I, you know, again, um, I think that there's some misinformation about the Middle East because, you know, while the men are dominant and you see them up front, don't forget that women are the matriarchs of those families. Uh, a good you point. Know? Very good point. Yeah. They run things in, behind the scenes for sure. And so that is very evident in lots of ways that, you know, the forefront is the men, but really it's the women. We, we don't often think about what we're doing at the time will be etched in some sort of history. But as a uh, promotional person and a, and a marketing expert involved with launching some of the things that become part of our everyday language, a Windows program, whatever it might be. I mean, these are pretty, uh, I use the word awesome a lot. These are pretty over-the-top projects that are going to stick in the minds for decades and decades. But at the time, do you do you know that this is, this is really huge or is it just, oh, it seems like they're doing the right thing. I guess I'll just follow up and do what I do. It's just your perspective when you were working for Microsoft in those days. A couple of things is one, before I went to the Middle East, I um, made a significant error in the Windows launch, my yes. first one for the company. And, you know, when you hear stories of successful people, I think sometimes they forget to tell you the mistakes they've made on the way. And so I tried to include some of those. 
And so with Windows, particularly the big you know, game changer for Microsoft in the early days was Windows 3.0. And I have the distinct um, reputation of announcing Windows 3.0 in the press with a full page ad, double spread ad, um, six weeks before it was announced by the company and the launch event took place. It was delayed and moved and I um, forgot to pull an insertion in an ad publication and there it is. And, and I tell the story in the book, I showed the actual ad that I found on yes. Google. Yes. In the book, it was mortifying. Um, and I knew that it was a big deal because I had to email everyone, including at the time, the leader of the Windows business unit, which was Steve Ballmer, and tell them, you know, not only, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, but here are all the things I've done to mitigate it. Mm. And, you know, this was the biggest launch the company had made to date. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was pretty significant um, mistake, but also as Windows started to take off and I was in different places in the world, it was very evident. And it was a very um, impactful thing to be in a place like the Middle East and later like Africa to introduce computers to, you know, people. Bill's Bill Gates's original vision was a computer in every office and in every home, on every desk and in yeah, every home. I, I wanted to ask if you ever had any memos signed BG. Do people think of uh, companies like Microsoft or Apple and uh, Amazon with the, the big guys at the top that they're completely unreachable or they have no connection? Any connections along the way in your many years with Microsoft with the, the top man who's in a little bit of an issue He's in a little trouble right now, but let's not talk about that. No, in the early days, you know, it wasn't he was not as sophisticated or distant because he was running the company. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yes, I was told um, one time in no uncertain terms how stupid I was for something in a meeting pretty directly from him. Um, but I didn't spend a whole lot of time working with them because I was, you know, certainly a very junior person. And but, you know, he was very um, visible around the company and, you know, got emails from him. And, you know, he wasn't untouchable because it was a young company that yeah. was trying to grow. And well, so you're right. We forget about the fact even Amazon was was losing money and it was a struggle for years for Bezos. And uh, it is all about stick to itiveness. So at, at the end of every chapter in your book, you have life lessons. Uh, you want to share a few of the the standouts with our audience that you share in the book? Oh my gosh, I there's so many. You know, one of the things that I I really took to heart with the book is, you know, you get people's stories, and as I said, you generally get the highlights, and people seem to be in the right place at the right time and be introduced to just the right person. And that was not my experience. And so I wanted to be really clear about what I had learned. And so, you know, one of the things you mentioned, Sue, was, you know, one of the big lessons from that was be observant and learn just as much from people you don't want to be like as mm. the people you do want to be like. And then I have others in the book where, you know, because it's a memoir and my professional life was a big part of my life 
and being a mother and a wife, I have included all kinds of things in there. So things that I learned with my children, you know, what not to do and what to do, there's in there and certainly didn't do all those things right. And so, but I include those lessons in terms of, you know, like I took my children all over the world at all the times where the recommendation is not in school ages and, you know, all sorts of things. And I am happy to report that they are three contributing nice young men. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, they turned out know, fine. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I think that's one of the things that I take away from your book and what I try to do with mine. I mean, we're both in the marketing world. We both spend our professional time making statements and and clarifying things and making making things look a little prettier because that's our job. But when it comes to real life, people want to know the real person and we're all touched by failure, we're all touched by sadness at times and all also, I think we all have a sense of adventure, even if it's little tiny senses of adventure. So I think you hit uh, hit all the bases on this on this project. Yeah, you know, I just I look back at that and think, uh, you know, I, I never intended this life. I, you know, there's some milestones that that we haven't talked about that we might. Um, that you know, when I think about Microsoft and my qualifications to work there, I had none. I had absolutely none. I am a 2018 college graduate with my undergrad. So people all say, oh, you know, my my favorite conversation with people is you must have a mistake on your LinkedIn. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Talk of, uh, talking about education and uh, alphabet soup, the degrees and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I went to uh, a little college uh, outside of Boston that uh, at the time had about a thousand students and all, you know, we're in Harvard and MIT and Emerson. I just went my own way and uh, did my own thing and wound up in the career that I love. But it's it's, uh, so true. We prejudge a lot of things uh, based on reputation or title or whatever. Uh, And that's something you've proven wrong. (laughs) You've proven them wrong every step of the way. Well, you know, again, I go back to, you know, I am not one to self-select out very often. And just because these are the requirements, I, you know, figure, well, let's see why they're the requirements. And, you know, I have done things that people have said, you know, oh, you can't possibly do that because you have a family. Well, yes, I can. I, you know, I do have a family, but that doesn't preclude you from, you know, having an adventure or taking them or taking a job or following your own ambition just because. And so I am not one to self-select out. Well, I think it's also uh, being resilient and knowing that you, you fear is the thing that keeps most of us from doing anything. And growing up the way you did in the hotel, in the inn, let's call it that, with a, a a family that was really torn apart, uh, you have to think on your feet and and have a sense of confidence to just survive. I think. Well, yes, outwardly, but I would say that I certainly have the voice inside my head every single day mm-hmm. that sir says, "Who in the world do you think you are?" <laughs> and I have to tell her multiple times a day to just keep it down and let's just keep going. No one yeah. will know. The foreground and the background. I know all about those voices. Absolutely. So where do you go from here? You've got the book. You've got your career. Uh, is there an adventure that is looming that you can share with us that 
Kate Eisler will be watching for you somewhere on the big screen? Yes, absolutely. I've sort of, you know, I went through um, what I like to say, I feel like I had a career in technology for about 200 years. Mm. It feels like that. And so when I left Microsoft, I um, was a little bit adrift and didn't know what to do and ran, ran a digital healthcare startup, which was hard and depressing. And, you know, I finished my degree and wrote the book and started a nonprofit that was intended to celebrate International Women's Day. And, you know, we did that in Seattle. We held events and their celebratory events still happen. And then 2020 happened. Mm. And it was such a devastating effect for women. I just thought, what am I going to do? And so I did what any self-respecting woman would do is drink a bunch of wine, have a little breakdown <laughs> and go, oh my gosh, you know, what's happening in the world? Well, in the world, people are online shopping. And so I co-founded a company that is for women-owned businesses and professional services that is an e-commerce site. And we have, um, we opened to shopping last September and we have over 400 businesses and almost 3,000 products on the site. And please share with us the URL for that site. That is the WMarketplace.com. The WMarketplace.com makes perfect sense to me. It's, it's uh, aimed at a, at a women's groups, uh, women's business groups. W is a good word, good letter. Very good. Outstanding. Well, you know, I keep thinking, again, that adventure, I'm like, why should all of the media, social media, advertising platforms, and e-commerce be owned by men and run by men? Because women make up 51% of the population, so let's dive in and support one another. And I don't know about anybody else, but in my world, the women do more of the shopping and more of the selecting and more of the consumer uh, trading than uh, than the men. I mean, I old old stereotype, but you know, we guys can wear the same shirt for the foreseeable future and the same socks. You know, once a year, I you know buy new underwear. But that's just me. I don't know about Doug. I don't know where he fits in. It's a guy thing, okay? It, it is a guy thing. I have three sons and a husband. I get it. <laughs> yes, right. But, you know, women actually, you're dead on. They make 85% of the consumer purchasing decisions. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, contribute a tremendous amount to GDP and all of the economics. And so if you think about if you shopped women-owned, just one thing women-owned, it would make a tremendous difference. And people can now do that at thewmarketplace.com. So there you go. Well, it, it's delightful to meet you. I, I called you a free spirit earlier. Um, my final point is um, we need more people to to think free spirit, I think, because that's what's fun. And, and we're in the freest society on the face of the earth, uh, all things considered. And so why not? But uh, what advice do you have for younger women, even middle-aged women right now who are contemplating their future uh, and are thinking, oh, I wish I could do what Kate has talked about. A couple of things I'd say, you know, I, I really challenge women to think about 
self-selecting out, as I said, and really, you know, have the difficult conversations with your family. If you're a caregiver, if you're a mother that, you know, have those responsibilities, share that, talk about it. You know, the scariest thing is to, is to bring it up sometimes and to follow your ambition. And the other thing I would say is, you know, can you really live with not trying, not trying something new, not trying something you've always wanted to do? You know, that has been a driving force for me because I just couldn't live with that. I can live with trying and not doing well at it because that's happened a lot, but I could never live without trying. And so I would encourage women to, you know, find somebody if you need to, to push you along. I am that person. I'm happy to be that person for anyone and say, you know, why not? Let's go try it. I'll encourage you. Well, whether it's climbing mountains or running marathons, you put one foot in front of the other and you start the process and there are pictures to prove it in the book. There you are at a mountain with your family. There you are running races, but also uh, bringing positive things to the world. So the book is called Breaking Borders and subtitled A Remarkable Story of Adventure, Family and Career Success that defied all expectations. Keep on defying those expectations. It's much more fun to live that way, isn't it? It's much more fun. And I really appreciate you asking and giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It's fun. Thanks again, Kate Eisler, Breaking Borders, A Remarkable Story of Adventure, Family and Career Success that defied all expectations. Another chapter in the podcast saga. I want to thank, as always, Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media for his help in publishing and publicizing the podcast. Ken Carberry and the crew at Chart Productions in Boston, where all of this is produced. And a special thank you, as always, to you, the listeners from all over the world. Appreciate it very, very much. Thanks for subscribing and downloading the podcast. Till next time, this is Jordan, as always, saying be well so you can do good. Take care.